developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, friends. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with us is my friend and colleague, Dr. Heather Campbell. And today, we're going to talk about dizziness, dizziness just in general, and how it relates to vision. And uh, towards the end, we'll certainly get into the new app, Dizzy DX. But here's a little bit about Heather. Dr. Heather Campbell graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and has over four decades of experience integrating musculoskeletal and neurologic recovery in the field of phys- physical therapy and in community health. She has a doctorate from the University of Montana and is a certified orthopedic clinical specialist. In addition to serving on faculties of programs in vision therapy, in physical therapy, medicine, and dentistry, Dr. Campbell has facilitated many professional continuing education seminars and contributed to the Vestibular Rehabilitation Competency Program at South Valley Physical Therapy in Denver, which is where we met many moons ago. She currently serves on faculty in the Regis University School of Physical Therapy. Her career emphasis is in cervical spine care has, and focused on all movement systems and the influence of central sensory motor processing for recovery after injury or neurologic disease. With her colleague, Dr. Nicole Miranda, Dr. Campbell co-authored textbook chapters on concussion headache, and uh, they developed the specialized physical therapy department in the Marcus Institute for Brain Health. The two were recognized as physical therapists of the year for their education and their legislative action. Dr. Campbell and Dr. Miranda's exciting new project is called Dizzy DX, a web-based interactive clinical decision support tool for evaluating the origins of dizziness. And, you know, this is a very complicated, complex uh, resume, and I've only read a little of it. I encourage you to go to show notes to learn more about Dr. Heather Campbell. She's done phenomenal work in the field of physical therapy, and I'm just honored that We've had years of working together. So welcome, Heather, to Vision Beyond Sight. It's so great to be here, Lynn, and thank you for that lovely um, introduction. Um, I, I just I would love to share a little personal story, as some of your prior guests have as well, about how um, our relationship, yours and mine, um, has helped orient me towards a better understanding of visual issues in sensory integrative disorders and how that informs my 
care of um, dizzy and uh, dizzy patients and especially concussion patients. Um, we hadn't spoken for a few years because I had moved out of town. I raised my uh, my kids in Vail and <clears throat> I called you one day. I was, I was so grateful that you were able to pick up and just said, I have a big problem. What do I do about it? My son loves literature, but he hates to read. And so that began a journey of lots of driving back to Denver. And um, you and your colleagues were able to help my little man go from at second grade, reading below a first grade level to reading above a fourth grade level within six weeks. And because of the work that I did with you and your colleagues over the year that he was in your care, I learned so much about integrating um, all sorts of visual issues with um, other kinds of brain function. And um, as noted in my my sort of CV, uh, cervical spine care was always my specialty. But what I learned was that how close the relationship was between how the cervical spine works and total body balance and the ability to control the eyes and to interpret visual information. It Our work together on my kid's behalf, Lynn, has informed a, a complete change in the direction that I took my career. So the last decade or so of my patient care experience included so much more of that. Well, thank you so much for sharing that gorgeous story that, you know, I, that you brought it back to my memory. And um, it's so interesting how we meet people and how, you know, it may be a family oriented kind of issue, but turns into a very important professional connection. Uh, since you shared that story, I want to share this story of how I met all you folks at the uh, South Valley Physical Therapy. Okay. Uh, years ago, at the beginning of my practice, uh, Pat Winkler, who is physical therapist there, and she calls me up one day. I didn't know her, but it so happened our offices were really right across um, the street. And she calls up and she said, are you Dr. Hellerstein? Yes. Do you do vision therapy? Yes. Great. I have a patient for you great, who's this? You know? And it was Pat Winkler. And she had a patient who had a stroke and had severe visual limitation, had double vision, restriction of motion, nystagmus, dizzy problems, whatever. And she said because of his eye movement problems, he was holding his head very awkward. And uh, she couldn't really teach him to balance and walk well with his head kind of laying on his shoulder. And she said, you need to fix him. Oh. <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, how <laughs> kind of thing. Well, Pat had a master's in optometry from University of Houston, and she knew the connection of vision, vestibular balance movement. And it's through Pat and your group at South Valley that I really learned a lot about the connection into the body and balance and vestibular systems. And uh, so interesting how we you know, made our connection. Um, and it was really about sharing, collaborating and learning together. And then it's been well over 30 years that we've done work together. And, and one quick story, and we'll get into dizziness in a second is we would often work on patients 
um, jointly. And so if a patient had a car accident, concussion, vestibular problem, you'd be working on their neck and balance and vestibular. We'd be working on the vision balance kinds of things. And we had a very inappropriate joke. You know, it's like who gets the patient first? Because whoever worked with him would make that patient often nauseous and sick. It's just the nature of the treatment and trying to do both therapies together was always a challenge. And so it, it doesn't mean to be a joke. It, it meant how important it is that we work together, collaborate and help these patients. And we've just had some beautiful successes together. So I thank you for all the years together. Absolutely, Lynn. I think um, our mutual success as professionals has, from my point of view, has been um, <clears throat> largely um, couched in collaboration, particularly with you and also other with other disciplines for this patient population. And um, um, honestly, Pat Winkler was the engine for a lot of that, wasn't she? She sure was. We've uh, authored some articles together and, yes. and sh she taught me so much and I'm forever grateful for like I said, her work and then your work and all the others there. So let's just jump into dizziness. It's a term that we all use in all different ways, but right. let's let's get on the same page and describe, a, you know, dizziness and the sources and causes of dizziness. Okay. Um, I think it's helpful to think of dizziness as a large golf umbrella with an awful lot of little peoples crammed underneath of it. Um, dizziness is is an overarching, almost a category, not a symptom of itself, and it's made up of a lot of different symptoms. And um, each symptom could be coming from one or more different body systems. So as an example, um, symptoms of dizziness might include lightheadedness or brain fog, uh, spinning or rocking, Imbalance is often under the category of dizziness, and that can come from a lot of different reasons. Um, some types of headaches can be associated with dizziness, especially certain types of migraines. Um, earfulness can create a sensation of some sort of disequilibrium. So dizziness, um, if, a, if a client comes and reports dizziness to a healthcare provider, the very first thing that needs to happen is to help the client describe what they're feeling in different terms, because dizziness itself is not going to help a healthcare practitioner choose a, a, a useful way to help that person. And so and, what are the, yeah, if you'll describe some of the feelings that you uh, hear from your patients. Well, um, yeah, unfortunately, um, this has been recorded global statistics. 20% of the population has some version of dizziness every single year. And in this country, if you just do math, that amounts to about 67 million people every single year who have some kind of a problem that makes them feel other than themselves. Um, uh, so if somebody's lightheaded, it could be associated with when they stand up too fast. A lot of people can relate to that. And with many folks, it doesn't last. But when it's something that happens every time you stand up, every single day, that's a problem and it needs to be addressed. When people feel like the room is turning around them, even though they know that the room is stable, that's often because they're uh, receiving um, distorted or 
garbled signals from their inner ear and their vestibular system, and it doesn't match what they see and it doesn't match what they feel as in standing still or sitting in a chair or lying in the bed even, um, where they should feel like they're stationary. And that conflict often results in nausea. And so a lot of people who complain of various types of dizziness will say, I'm really nauseous. Um, people who have photosensitivity, so light really bothers them, um, will sometimes feel sort of out of body or lightheaded, or they can't really tell where their feet are um, because their eyes are bothering them so much and it often leads to headaches. Um, and unfortunately, any of those kinds of sensations, if they are consistent, daily, regular, can really disrupt people's lives. They may stop going out often, or they may um, they may limit their social engagements. They may limit the time that they have available to exercise. They may limit um, how often um, they engage in in recreational activities that they enjoy. So dizziness of any kind can be really disruptive to people's life quality. For sure. And many people I see have, you know, one of their main complaints is driving. They can't, you know, turn their head to look without creating dizziness and uh, movement of their eyes or head can cause symptoms. And that causes a lot of tension, uh, questionable safety in driving, as well as uh, just a whole slew of other symptoms. One thing that piles on, which is really unfortunate because dizziness isn't something you can see, you can't wear a bandage, you don't wear a brace. Um, a lot of people actually wear dark glasses. But unfortunately, because um, many um, people within this person's life, including their healthcare practitioners, might not be able to put a finger on the source of this person's discomfort, it gets moved into the psychological category. And um, where anxiety and worry um, that is beyond normal worry um, and other kinds of conditions that are under the category of mental health problems um, can disrupt neural circuitry and can disrupt the way the brain works and dizziness is sometimes a result of that. Um, it makes a patient feel like it's their fault if someone says, oh, you know, this is actually all in your head, um, or this is a, uh, you know, I'm going to put you on anxiety medication to help with this, instead of actually getting to the root of the problem. And just as, um, you know, it wasn't really meant to be funny, it was meant to be more validating. But if a patient came to me and said, <clears throat> yeah, my doctor says it's all in my head, I would say, well, actually it is. And there are five places where you are processing this information. And let's talk about your brain because it actually is in your head. But it's right. not the same as being imaginary. And a lot of clients um, or people who aren't clients because they don't trust us have been, it's been indicated to them that it's their fault that they feel this way somehow. That, that's how they interpret the information they get. And they they have this strong sense, no, there's something that isn't working right. And if if their healthcare providers can't get to the bottom of it um, so that they can say, yes, we understand this is where it comes from. And here are some things that might help ameliorate these symptoms. 
um, then people just feel like they're adrift. They they don't feel like they can get help, and they're the people close to them. You mentioned driving, which is a huge issue. Um, you know that that puts a transportation burden on other people around you if you're not right. able to drive yourself and you were. And so this, I mean, it affects personal relationships, families, friends. It can be very far reaching, unfortunately, if these folks can't get help. And then last <clears throat> last thing I was thinking of when you mentioned driving and when turning your head driving makes you feel dizzy. Um, there are a lot of reasons why that may happen where people have head motion provoked dizziness. Um, and it, it can be because they can't keep what they're looking at stable on their retina. Um, it can be because when they turn their head, their neck is actually making them dizzy. And if they also have a problem where, which I'd love for us to talk about more today, which is visual motion hypersensitivity, when someone can't tell the difference between when they are moving and when their environment is moving, that person can never escape dizziness because they feel dizzy if there's any movement in their environment. And they also feel dizzy if they try and turn their head to look away. And it's it's sort of bed and dark room is the only place where they can get relief. Yeah. And I do want to talk about this vision motion sensitivity in a second, but I'm so glad you brought up the the emotional piece of this because by the time I may see a patient, because many of these patients have been to numerous doctors and therapists trying to find the source of that. Uh, many patients I see, they've withdrawn. Sometimes it's impacted their work so much they may or may not be working. You talked about the driving. So so we're just not talking about, oh, a little dizziness and, and uh, feeling woozy. I mean, this can totally impact your, your quality of life uh, from mild to severe. Um, if you could, you know, one of the questions m many of these patients ask me is, so what is the cause? What is the etiology? And, and there's numerous reasons. Could you go through some of the main uh, causes that people might experience dizziness? Okay. Um, and also we, I'd love your, your listeners to understand that this also includes children. Yes. Because you know, some somewhere between five and seven percent of children also report dizziness every year. And of course, in terms of that emotional impact and behavior, um, depending on the age group, we may observe different manifestations of that. Really young kids um, will often just be misbehaved because they don't feel comfortable in their skin, but they don't have the vocabulary to tell mom and dad what's up. And um, really young kids like toddlers who may be beginning potty training, for instance, um, suddenly aren't potty trained anymore. And teenagers oh, who rely on their screens and their friends and their, you know, their interactions in school. You think about what a school environment is like if they go to a large school, passing periods, things like that. They can't function well in school. They end up at home and their teenage friends eventually may sort of trickle out of their lives because the teenagers who are well don't know how to manage with a friend who's not well. And they don't, they don't know how to include them. They don't know how to help them. And so there are huge social impacts for children as well as for adults. Um, 
cardiovascular problems are probably the number one reason why people feel other than themselves, um, especially with lightheadedness and um, brain fog, which has, we finally have been able to, and brain fog is really common after viral infection and COVID-19 has really brought this to the front. Right. Um, so much more research being done as we, gosh, there's so much we don't know about COVID-19 yet, but we do know that it affects so many things, including the cardiovascular system. And so people who experience brain fog, where they just feel like they're swimming in molasses and they can't think clearly and they may not be speaking clearly, we know now is related to a loss of um, blood perfusion in the brain. And it isn't. it might be positional, as in when you stand up versus when you sit down, but it isn't necessarily. Um, pe people who travel, for instance, might end up with more brain fog because... Um, their legs are more swollen. So their blood volume is actually in their legs. And uh, just as an example, so cardiovascular problems, big concern, AFib, really big concern for causing people to feel lightheaded, dizzy, swimmy, woozy, nauseous. And then behind that, um, vestibular problems are um, a big problem. Your vestibular system lives in your inner ear but it has a huge network within your brain as well. And so, and it, it, it actually uh, manages a lot of other sensory systems and your behavior towards your environment. Um, an interesting place where there's research about this is with the astronauts who are, you, as you are aware, living longer and longer periods of time on the International Space Station. And so, in a zero-G environment, because the space station is still in our atmosphere, but it's falling around the Earth, so it's a zero-G. It's not technically gravity-free, but it's zero-G. And um, so the astronauts still have semicircular canal function, but they have no otolith function, because otolith is what responds to um, your gravity cues. And um, w when they come back, they're you know, first of all, they're nauseous for about three days, which when they get to the station, which is you know, really difficult because they do a lot of research. And then when they come back, they're not allowed to drive for at least three weeks, just as an example. Right. That's so interesting. Then there's a whole list of other things that people don't often think about. The neck can cause a lot of disruption in channels that you use to be able to tell where you are in space. Um, medication responses can cause dizziness. It's the first thing on most medications on the list of may cause dizziness when you think about it. So a lack of sleep, um, uh, glucose and um, dehydration, all of those things need to be taken into consideration. Uh, well, thank you, Heather. And, and we're going to take a break in just uh, 30 seconds here. But often I'm also seeing viruses and the number one etiology I often see is cause unknown, that uh, you need to <clears throat> rule out all these things you've talked about, but sometimes they can't find the cause. And, and um, you know, that's always unnerving for patients and, and, and uh, in treatment. But we're going to come back here and talk uh, about vision motion sensitivity and start talking about treatment options as well. So hang on, take a good breath, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Okay. Dr. Lin will be right back after this.
Can your child see, really see, more than 2020? Does your child struggle in school, have trouble with tracking when reading, or resist writing? Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's award-winning book, See It, Say It, Do It, provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing. Improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school, sports, and play. Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, has identified the top 50 ways for you to achieve excellent results in any sport activity, enhance eye-mind-body coordination skills, achieve the mental edge, prevent injuries. This book belongs in every athlete's or coach's sports bag. Get 50 tips to improve your sports performance on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Heather Campbell today, who is a physical therapist, but uh, she spent a lot of uh, additional time research in working with patients and integrating musculoskeletal and neurological recovery, especially with those who have suffered um, head injury, concussion, other kinds of um, medical trauma. And so we were just uh, talking about some of the causes of why people get dizzy. And you mentioned um, many, many of the causes, but uh, just before break, I had mentioned virus. And it's not just COVID, but uh, tell us a little bit about your experience on viruses that we're all catching here and there. Um, and then they end up showing up in your office. Tell us about the, the viral impact on dizziness. Okay. It's a, <clears throat> uh, we've been uh, working with folks who've been laid low by um, viruses, um, severe viruses that affect the neural system um, for years before we were introduced to COVID-19, which has, um, has the, the unique, if you will, 
characteristic of pretty much of being able to affect literally every system in the body, which is pretty frightening in some ways. Um, Epstein-Barr virus um, was finally discovered to be the source of people who were reporting um, just uh, fatigue that was completely ruining their lives. Um, and um, then and Lyme disease um, is another source. That's not a virus, but as a tick-borne illness, um, is another source that uh, of um, uh, problems that can affect. It seems to love the vestibular system for some reason. And I have a colleague who's who um, whose older daughter um, had a, a complete disruption of her immune system after they were visiting out of the country. And um, the the source actually, I mean, she had a huge histamine response and it just sort of snowballed. And she ended up losing two years of high school. Um, she, um, she completed on time, but most of that, a lot of that, she was at home. She was the definition of that high school student who was not able to tolerate being in the building, in the classroom, and whose friends tended to kind of trickle away. And so that was, um, and, she, and she's really well now, which is so exciting, but it took five years. Um, but <clears throat> feeling dizzy, that brain fog, swelling in the lower legs, um, all uh, lots of other issues like muscle fasciculations and things, just her system just um, misbehaved completely. And the, the uh, with both of her parents are healthcare providers and they still couldn't get clear answers through the healthcare system um, and had to, you know, privately seek out, not through insurance, but privately seek out um, the very best they could find to try and help this young woman get through this problem. One of um, my more recent clients um, had a tick bite. He's a, a bicyclist and was um, in the woods in Wisconsin, where ticks are a common problem, and ended up with a tick bite in his hair, so he didn't see it right away. He wasn't able to tolerate um, the antibiotic treatment that is usually blasted at a patient if they if this is understood to be the problem. Um, and so, um, unfortunately, his uh, it this was became Lyme disease, and it. Um, sort of took over his life, and he had three major problems from it. One is his vestibular system sort of crashed so that when he was riding his bike in sort of shaded areas, he felt really disoriented because of the movement of the leaves and the shadow and and um, um, uh, and felt really dizzy, and it took quite a while to recover after a bike ride. He also had some joint problems. He had trouble in his neck, and he had trouble in one of his knees. And um, we were able to work with him um, specifically about this uh, visual disturbance that he experienced because he'd lost his ability to use his vestibular system to match his physical body sensations and his vision. Um, and we were able to treat this visual motion hypersensitivity that he was experiencing and he was able to get back to riding. Um, we also, of course, took care of his neck um, and his knee didn't turn out to be as big a problem at that at the point where I met him. But um, that was an example of where <clears throat> an illness 
triggered this really abnormal use of the visual system. And in the um, young woman's case, her viral illness um, triggered a complete mismatch of her systems, um, multiple systems. Um, and it took a number of practitioners to be able to pull together what would work the best for her. And, you know, Lynn, earlier you mentioned that we do get, sadly, a lot of folks who've been really round the block, have seen a lot of practitioners and aren't given an actual, you know, a diagnostic peg that they can hang their hat on. And that can be as many as 80% of these dizzy people It's that, that don't get a definitive diagnosis, It's um, which contributes to their you know, poor mental health and social interactions, frankly, because they don't know what's wrong and and people just want an easy answer the people who are speaking with them. And and when you meet a healthcare practitioner who doesn't understand what's going on, I'm very sorry to say that sometimes it's, well, you know, I'm not familiar with this, therefore it doesn't exist. So it must be your fault. I mean, that sounds like really harsh, but a lot of clients are experiencing that in their yes. attempt to find healthcare. And this is, um, particularly because of her daughter's experience, this is what promoted um, my colleague Nicole Miranda and I to to move forward in trying to create a tool that helps um, rehab providers in particular go through all the different possibilities and come up with some very particular things that are treatable that um, by by careful testing to identify what the cause of this person's dizziness is. It's not the same as finding a medical diagnosis. What we do as rehab providers is figure out all the components of a medical diagnosis, or if they don't have a medical diagnosis, we still figure out the components of what's not working. And then we can say to a patient, um, one of the reasons why you can't do this particular activity is because you don't have a really high quality postural response, for instance. So you can't protect yourself when you stand on a surface that looks like that. Or you can't tell the difference, as I mentioned before, between when you're moving inside and and when somebody's moving outside of you or or you're in a crowd and people are all moving around and that makes you feel really uncomfortable. And there are neurologic reasons why people's brains don't um, match their sensory systems. And so our job is to choose activities that will promote more accurate sensory system matching so that they can feel confident and stable in the real world. And this, Heather, you're speaking about Dizzy DX, your app. Is that correct? Yes. Great. And, and so that's fairly new. And um, are many practitioners utilizing and and let's take it down to you know basic level of what does that look like for a patient what would they be doing and you know how do you come up with these mismatches so you can design a treatment modality for them um wow and that's a big question lynn thanks for bringing that up yes our the the app that we created uh, the concept started in 2015 so we've been working on this for a rather long time but um we <clears throat> 
we did a couple of versions of redevelopment based on some beta testing. We had a really big beta test with 250 users last year and um, employed um, our third set of developers um, at the beginning of this year and opened it up for actual subscription in June. So it's it is really new and we are, you know, gradually um, getting traction and we're presenting um, how to use this thing. Um, it's a this is a, a web based app, so it's not a not a native app like that you pull up on your phone from the app store. It's just a dot com. So it's available anywhere there's an Internet and um, it is specifically for practitioners. And so how it helps the patient is the practitioner would use this thought. It's a thought process. So the practitioner would use this thought process ahead of time before meeting the patient if they have information about the patient. So kind of like a textbook, you wouldn't pull your textbook out while you're treating your patient, unless it's because you want to show images to the patient, for instance. And you wouldn't really use this app during your visit with the patient um, because there's a you're really mushing around in a lot of things to consider. Um, or the other place you might use it is after you've seen the patient, you might um, open up this app and sort of review what your patient told you and what you observed um, based on what's available in the app and and then look at a list of possible impairments and say, oh gosh, what did I miss? Um, because the big thing is first and foremost, identify what dizziness means for your patient. So that's where the app starts. And then from there, um, the person who uses it can build a case in the app that looks like their patient. So that makes it really unique. There's nothing else on the market where you can actually build your patient's story in the app. Um, and we did that by presenting com the common ways, you know, if somebody's lightheaded, what are common ways your patient might behave when they're lightheaded? And you pick the one that looks the most like your patient. If you, you know, if, you're, if your patient feels like their world is moving around them. Um, what are common ways that they might behave? And you pick the one that looks the most like your patient. And that leads you then first and foremost to some questions. Well, did you consider this and did you consider that? Do they need to see another practitioner? Is there a medical red flag issue at hand here? Um, and, and there is um, evidence embedded in the app. So you can think, wait, let me just look at that article and explore this a little bit more, for instance. And then it takes you to, well, here are maybe four or five things that go wrong in the human body and in these multiple systems um, that you might want to consider. And you'd pick, you know, one or four, maybe all five of them. And then they pop up with a list of, well, this is how you test that system. So that the clinical tests that have been validated in the literature as best as clinical tests can be, they're not instrumented tests necessarily, they're clinical tests are all listed and some of them have videos because they're tests that some practitioners might not be quite as familiar with. And so you you would then flag what you wanted to do. And after you've tested your client, either this visit or the next visit, um, then there's a, a page that has you interpret those tests. So if this was the result, what things should you think about? If, if B is the result, what things should you think about? 
If C is the result, what things should you think about? Do you want to rule in this impairment or rule it out and move on to something else? And all of this information is saved in a case summary at the end of the app. So you have, um, we don't integrate with um, electronic documentation at this time, but you do have all of this sort of listed. And along the way, there's a, what we call a confidence level that you will have done as the user of this app which helps you place a number from zero to 10 on how important you think this is to the person's problem. So if, if at the end of the day you get to your case summary, you have a list of impairments. If let's say you've got five impairments listed, one of them you decided that was a 10, you're absolutely sure that's part of the problem. Another one is a nine. Another one, mm, you put it just a four. So now you've got a list of what's most important and it helps you think about, well, how should I intervene with this person? Probably the, the um, impairments that are a 10 um, are, are, the, are where I'm probably going to start my intervention. You mentioned earlier, Lynn, that <clears throat> sometimes we can make our patients feel pretty unwell because we're challenging their systems, challenging their vision, challenging their balance, challenging their ability to, to recognize sensation in their body and their proprioception. And it can make people ill. As long as they can recover from that in a short period of time, that's okay. But what we don't want to do is make them so ill that now they're in bed for two days. And, and so when you do a full evaluation on a patient, if you come up with a long, kind of a long list of impairments that you think contribute to their problem, you absolutely need to prioritize because you're not going to treat them all at one time. You will make your patient really sick and send them to bed. And we right. don't want to do that. We yeah. want them to feel like this is going to help me master my sensory systems. Because what leads to anxiety, Lynn, is loss of control. Right. These and Heather, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. We only have a couple minutes left. And this yeah. is a fabulous tool that I think should be in so many general practitioners, internists, other therapists' offices to really help the patient, you know, be directed to uh, find hopefully the etiology, but at least some treatment options. And in our last couple minutes, I really wanted to talk about the treatment options, especially, you know, the patients that we share are patients with vision, motion sensitivity, where yes. peripheral movement, like walking down the aisle of a grocery store and they get dizzy because it looks like uh, things are jumping off the shelf at them or, or driving a car, just moving their head, they get dizzy or things like that. And so these are patients, both physical therapists who specialize in vestibular and, um, mm -hmm. and motion sensitivity work on, as well as optometrists working in vision therapy. And if you could just in the last couple minutes, uh, explain just so the uh, you know, for the clinicians, uh, they really understand it. For the patients, they'd like to know, you know, what, what does a therapy look like? What are some of the things that can be done that would be helpful? And, and then I'll mention a few of the visual things as well. Absolutely. Um, uh, what we know, and in, especially because of Pat Winkler's research, actually, since this was one of her favorite areas to dig in, and she's done some terrific um, some with you and some with um, Ken Kafrida and and others, terrific work on trying to identify what goes wrong 
when somebody has this problem of not being able to separate personal motion from environmental motion. So sometimes and commonly there are certain um, specific visual function issues. And when we're able to identify those, um, you and your colleagues are the absolute best people to work with that. But we also find that um, unlike other people with vestibular problems who don't have visual motion hypersensitivity, these people don't have normal postural responses. If um, they sway more, even when there doesn't appear to be movement in the room, but as they're trying to fixate on one point, they sway more. They have less integration of their stable vision and their posture. And so we work on how to improve their postural responses and their stability while they are focusing on a particular target. And then the worst is when they focus on a target and the background is moving and that makes them potentially really sick. So we we um, we work with how to develop basically exposure therapy with an eye towards their ability to control their autonomic nervous system, which is what's making them sick, and their ability to develop better postural responses when they perceive that the room is moving, which we do through um, light light displays and, and movement across the walls, but they have to look at a target. It's their inability to suppress that background movement that is part of the source of their disability. Right. And what's so great is you're working with them, and many of these patients you've mentioned are getting physical therapy, postural uh, work, often work on their neck as well. As optometrists, what we're doing, it's amazing um, what certain types of lenses, and I'm not just talking about glasses to see clearly, but mm. certain glasses that um, can help them fixate, look easier, uh, mm -hmm. have prisms that make the world shift a little bit or get rid of double vision or tints or occlusions. Those are our, our tools of the trade that can, together with the physical therapy, truly uh, change people's lives. And, um, you know, there's so many patients that we, we could talk about, but um, it truly, you know, some of the patients that South Valley have sent us, just using a pair of glasses so a patient doesn't have to focus more can often get them upright looking around and more stable, even though the case isn't done. Uh, some little minor things that shift their vision can be so effective just as you doing certain procedures as well. And so in our last minute, um, I want to thank you so much for your research, your work, uh, your expertise. It's really been a joy having you on, but even my heart, heart so warmed with uh, our 20, 30 years of working together and changing people's lives, transforming their lives so that they, they really can see the world with clarity and confidence. And um, for that, I thank you. It, our collaboration's been wonderful, Lynn, and it, it, is the, it is the key to these folks feeling better is to be able to collaborate like we have done. Thank and you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and can you just quickly tell people how they can find a physical therapist? Is there a website? And, and we'll put it on our show notes as well. Sure. Um, 
the American Physical Therapy Association has a find a therapist for the public. Um, and and that is a great way to do it. Also, the Vestibular Disorders Organization, uh, associate vestibulardisorders.org has um, a, a physical therapy locator for vestibularly trained therapists. Excellent. Thank you. And bye-bye. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Bye. On Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you, you define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.